ultimately the reason we offer our bodies to God is as a thank offering, to use Old Testament language. And we offer our bodies as a thank offering to God because Christ offered his body as a sin offering to purchase our redemption. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Tom is continuing our current series titled, Your Only Reasonable Response to the Gospel, and he'll have part four for you on today's broadcast. Single-minded devotion typifies the excellence which some people exhibit. The same thing is true when it comes to your Christian life and experience. The goal of being an athlete affects every decision a competitor makes about what they do with their body. As we discovered last time, Romans 12 verses 1 through 2 has a similar call, a call to present your body as a living holy sacrifice to God. Today, Tom will examine more deeply what that looks like for believers. You'll learn how and why your response to the gospel is meant to involve every aspect of your life. Open your Bible now and let's join Tom with today's message on The Word Unleashed. Secondly, you are to present your body as a holy sacrifice in the sense that you are to present it without spot or blemish. In other words, your body is to be morally pure. This also is implied in this word holy. In the Old Testament, this concept was often used to describe an animal. An animal that you brought was to have no spots or blemishes on it, no physical blemishes. Why? Because that was a metaphor. That was a picture that this sacrifice had no physical blemishes in the way that the ultimate sacrifice would have no sin blemishes whatsoever. It was, a, it was a metaphor that that animal was without its own sin and therefore could die in the place of someone else, just as, of course, our Lord and His ultimate sacrifice would do. As Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, listen to this, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. What's that talking about? Jesus' blood was unblemished and spotless? Well, it means he was without sin. He had absolutely no sin. Therefore, he could stand in our place. He could become our substitute. If you've never repented and believed in him, you need to understand this is your only hope because there are only two alternatives. Either you will leave this life bearing the guilt of your own sin, and you will endure the justice that your sins deserve from the hand of God, or you will repent and believe in the way God has made through His Son, through His Son's life and death and resurrection, and God will enable Jesus to stand in your place and to take the justice that your sins deserve. Those are your only two choices. I plead with you. Don't put it off. Don't leave this life with the justice for your sins riding on your own head because I promise you this, God doesn't grade on a curve. You will get everything that your sins deserve. If you will repent and believe, Jesus got everything your sins deserved. So when Paul says, 
we are to present our bodies as a holy sacrifice, not only is he saying that they belong to God, he's also saying that they are to be truly holy. Your body is not to be characterized by sin, but practically, personally, holy. The way you use your body is to be marked by real and consistent holiness. In fact, let me just remind you of what the Bible says about your body. Think about this for a moment. In 1 Corinthians 6.15, Christian, Paul says your body is a member of Christ. Be careful what you do with that body. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 6.13, your body can be an instrument or tool of righteousness. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 34, you can be holy both in body and in spirit. Therefore, God calls you to possess your own body in sanctification and honor. That's exactly what he says. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, notice verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. How? How do we please God? Well, here's one way, verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. What we're about to read here originated with the authority of Jesus Christ Himself, verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. It is God's will given as an instruction to us through the apostles coming from the authority of Christ Himself that you be progressively becoming increasingly holy day after day. How? Well, here's one very practical way, verse 3, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Understand that you don't get to decide what you do sexually with your body. Why? Because your body doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. Christ gets to say what you do sexually with your body. Therefore, verse 4, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel, his own body, in sanctification and honor. Don't use it for sexual sin. And, verse 5, don't engage it in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Oh, and if as a professing Christian you do this, verse 6, see to it that no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter, this issue of sexual sin, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this, this this concept of keep your body pure sexually, is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Couldn't be much more pointed than that. But notice verse 4. Each of you needs to know how to possess his own body in sanctification and honor. One commentator in the book of Romans, a man named Cranfield, writes this, the true worship which God desires embraces the whole of a Christian's life from day to day. Any worship at the temple with sacrifices which was not accompanied by obedience in the ordinary affairs of life must be regarded as false worship, unacceptable to God. What you're doing here this morning 
is unacceptable to God if it's not combined with a willingness to obey Him this last week and this coming week in what you do with your body. This was the consistent message, by the way, of the Old Testament, that obedience had to be, mar- had to be married with worship for the worship to be received. For example, in Leviticus 26, verses 14 and 20, excuse me, verses 14 and 31, we read this, if you do not obey me, God says, if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, I will not smell your soothing aromas. In other words, I'm not receiving your sacrifices. If you're not obeying me, I'm not receiving the sacrifices you offer. 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said to Saul, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Samuel answers his own question, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Listen, God doesn't want your Sunday worship if He doesn't have your weekday obedience. That's the message of the New Testament as well. We are to be holy. We're to be set apart in our bodies and how we use our bodies from sin. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Listen, your holiness doesn't earn your way to heaven. Only the work of Christ does that. But don't kid yourself that you're a Christian if you're not growing in sanctification, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There's how we're to present ourselves as a sacrifice. Living, meaning perpetual, constant, without interruption through all of this life, and holy set apart to God because our bodies belong to Him, and living in practical obedience to Him. Thirdly, here in verse 1 of Romans 12, we learn why should you present your body a sacrifice? Why should you present your body a sacrifice? There are two reasons. First of all, because it's acceptable to God. Verse 1 says, I urge you, brothers, through the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, acceptable to God. The Greek word for acceptable is a compound word. One of the words means to please, the other means good or well. So when we present ourselves as a sacrifice that is living and holy, it is well-pleasing to God. Again, this language comes from the language of the Old Testament sacrifice. When the smoke of the sacrificial animal ascended to heaven, Leviticus says again and again, for example, Leviticus 1.9 says that it was a soothing aroma to the Lord. It pleased Him. The sacrifice that was offered in the way He required actually pleased God. And when we offer our bodies to God as a living, holy sacrifice, it truly pleases Him as well. Now, I find that amazing, because think about this. Even though my body is not yet redeemed, I have a redeemed soul, but my body's not redeemed. Even so, even though my body is still fallen, it can, in fact, please God. What I do with my body can please God. 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5, verse 9 says, we have it as our ambition, whether at home in the body or absent, to be pleasing to him. I can be pleasing to him here at home, in this world, in my body. A lot of Christians are confused about this. They think that even as believers, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's true of unbelievers, but brothers and sisters, that's not true of us. Not because of us, but by grace, through the work of Christ, God is pleased with our obedience to his word. If you're confused about this or if you want to think more about it, I did a message some years ago entitled, Do I Ever Please God? And the answer is, yes, believer, you do. You do and can. When you continually present your body to God as a living, holy sacrifice, it truly pleases Him. You should also present your body to God because it's your spiritual service of worship. It's your spiritual service of worship. Verse 1 ends with these words, which is your spiritual service of worship. That probably modifies the rest of verse 1. It goes back and captures everything that's been said and says, when you present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, acceptable to God, it is your spiritual service of worship. The Greek word translated spiritual here is logikos, from which we get the English word logical. In fact, that's what it means, logical or reasonable. The leading Greek lexicon defines it this way, it's being carefully thought through, thoughtful. Here, this word translated spiritual could mean spiritual in the sense that it involves the mind and heart and isn't merely external or ceremonial. Spiritual in contrast to mindless and mechanical. Or it could also mean logical or reasonable in the sense of fitting the circumstances. Both of those are true, and honestly, I think Paul is making a wordplay here and intends both of these senses. Our response should be spiritual as opposed to merely external, and it is reasonable as opposed to unreasonable because of the mercies of God. This is your only reasonable response to the gospel. Notice Paul adds, it's your service of worship. Those three words translates, translate one Greek word. It's the word latreia, which can mean service in general, or it can mean the kind of service offered in the act of worship. Again, I think Paul intentionally is, is using this word with its double senses. So, this last expression at the end of verse 1, I think, is intentionally a little ambiguous to incorporate a number of senses. Let me translate it for you or read it as I think we can read it. He's saying the only right and reasonable response to the mercies of God that you have experienced in Christ is two things. One, to give your whole life to the service of God. And two, to give your heart in constant spiritual worship. To give your whole life in the service of God and to give your heart in constant spiritual worship. And of course, the rest of Romans is going to explain how to do that. So that's the heart of what Paul is saying here in verse 1. Now that we understand that, I want us to make 
this verse eminently practical. Okay, I want just for a moment for you to reflect with me on exactly what this looks like. Let's not leave it ethereal. First of all, and this is what I often like to do, is let's consider what it doesn't mean. What does it not mean to present your body a sacrifice? This is not something you do one time. This wasn't something that happened at the moment of salvation. It's not something that happens in some crisis moment of surrender once in your Christian life. It's not something that happens once. Secondly, it is not something you do periodically at key moments in your Christian life. This is not like the common Christian slash Baptist concept of rededication. Well, I'm going to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. That's not this. It's not going to Christian camp and throwing another stick on the fire as a symbol of your being more committed than you were before. This is not what we're talking about. So what does it mean? Well, to present your body a sacrifice means two things. Number one, it means that you must cultivate a constant mindset that your body belongs to God. It does. We just saw that in 1 Corinthians 6. But you have to cultivate that mindset. You have to remind yourself constantly that you are not your own, that your body belongs to Jesus Christ. And number two, you must then expend constant effort to obey the Scripture in how you use your body. So it starts with a mindset, my body doesn't belong to me, but then it follows through in thinking about, so how then does God want me to use my body? It belongs to Him, so what does He want me to do with it? And then intentionally, constantly making effort to obey those commands. For example, back in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, we're told to go on presenting your members as instruments of righteousness. Paul uses the present tense there. This isn't something that happens once. It's constant. Go on presenting your members. In chapter 6, verse 19, he says, present your body to God, listen to this, in the same way that you once presented your body to sin. How did you present your body to sin before you came to Christ? It wasn't once. It wasn't occasionally. It was every day, moment by moment, you gave your body to sin, to carry out what it wanted. And that's exactly what you're to do in presenting your members to God. And then, of course, we just saw the word living in chapter 12, verse 1, implies this constant, ongoing, continual sacrifice of our bodies. Now, let me just say to you, the good news is you know exactly what this looks like because our world is surrounded with people who do this in a very practical way. Assume for a moment, and why you'd want to do this, I don't know, but if you decided you were going to present your body a sacrifice in order to excel in a particular sport, this happens all the time. There are people you know who've done this. What does it require if you're going to sacrifice your body in order to excel in a particular sport? Well, it starts with a mindset, right? It starts with the mindset that that is the goal, and I'm not going to use my body in any way that's going to sabotage that goal. It begins with a mindset, but then it requires that all the decisions you make throughout each day about what you do with your body are decided by how they affect that goal. If you wanted to be an extreme athlete, it would affect 
Every detail of life. It would affect how long you sleep. It would affect when you get up, what and how much you eat, what you wear for that athletic endeavor. It would affect not only what you do with your body, but would also affect what you don't do with your body. You would pass certain things up because it's not going to further that goal. The same thing is true when it comes to our Christian life and experience. The goal of being an athlete affects every decision you make about what to do with your body. That's exactly, by the way, why Paul uses competing in the games and disciplining our bodies to win the prize as pictures of the Christian life. The goal of presenting your body to God as a living, holy sacrifice that pleases Him will affect your basic mindset about your body and every decision you make about what to do with your body. You say, can you make it a little, a little more direct and practical? Okay, let me just give you a couple examples. Here's how God wants you to use the members of your body. Let's start with your eyes. This is just one example. Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? That is, how can I look at someone to lust after them? I've made a covenant with my eyes. My eyes belong to God. I'm not going to let them do certain things. Or what about your mouth? Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome, boy, you hear that? Let no unwholesome word, literally Greek text, rotten word, proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building others up according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Your mouth isn't yours. You don't get to say whatever you want. Your mouth belongs to Jesus Christ, and He says what comes out of your mouth. It affects how you use your hands. Ephesians 4.28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. You, you use your hands to work hard, to provide for yourself and your family, and to help others. Your hands aren't your own. Your skills aren't your own. In the end, you see what Paul is saying here? The mercies of God demand everything from you. Ultimately, the reason we offer our bodies to God is as a thank offering, to use Old Testament language. And we offer our bodies as a thank offering to God because Christ offered His body as a sin offering to purchase our redemption. Ephesians 5.2, I love this. Christ loved you and gave Himself up for us an offering, and a sacrifice to God. And it was to God a fragrant aroma. It was a soothing smell in the nose of God. Our Father, we are overwhelmed by the simple thought that our Lord offered Himself as a sacrifice, as a sin offering, as a guilt offering in our place. His perfectly righteous life in the place of sinners in our place. Lord, we thank you that he loved us and gave himself to you as an offering, as a sacrifice. Thank you that it was acceptable in your sight, that it pleased you, that it was a soothing aroma in your nostrils, that your justice against our sins was perfectly satisfied so that there's none left for us. Lord, we love you, and we are amazed that you loved us, amazed that you would offer yourself for us. 
certainly our reasonable response is to give you everything. Love so amazing, so divine, demands our souls, our lives, our all. Well, that's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of his current series, Your Only Reasonable Response to the Gospel. Tom will bring you part five on our next broadcast as he once again brings us to God's Word, and we do hope you'll join us then. But before we leave you today, Tom has some closing thoughts. My prayer for you is exactly what it is for me, and that is that God would enable us to see all of life as an act of worship that even the mundane tasks of life would be seen as a way to serve our Lord. To the extent that we do what we do, even in the, the routine duties of this life, unto the Lord, the Lord receives it as if we are serving Him, as if it were, in fact, an act of worship placed into His hands. And so may God help us to live like that, lives of humble service rendered at every breath to our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, Tom. And friend, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.